Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Oh, we're not going to do any kind of a sync up. We, we normally do a countdown. No, it doesn't work. It's, it doesn't uh, make any sense. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. A little behind the scenes for people. We normally uh, try desperately to sync our sound. We go one or three, two, one, but we never manage <laughs> to synchronize. No, we can't synchronize our claps because we don't. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There must be some solution, but there's a network delay. So it's quite significant when you're on the other side of the planet. Yeah, they still haven't figured out, I guess, synchronous sound after all these years. That's no, like a I, I spoke to a history joke. <laughs> I spoke to someone who works in the university with telerobotics, mm-hmm. and he uh, they develop robots for things like uh, uh, Fukushima, where there's a nuclear disaster, and you send a robot. Oh, wow. But if you're more than a mile away, information travels the fastest it can travel is the speed of light, which is still it's not mm. so. I don't know, there's like half a second delay if you're a mile away. And if you have to have tactile feedback that you're like picking up a rock, and that means half a second this way and half a second. It's really weird navigating something with a one second delay. So there's no, there's no, right. there's no new device they can figure out that, oh, let's quadruple speed of light. No, it's, that's the limit. I never thought of it that way. So my dream of sort of living on Mars telepresently yeah. Um, when this becomes a hellscape on Earth, <laughs> it's just not going to be possible. It's so funny these uh, these catchphrases. Like, if you can imagine it, you can build it. Or, the sky's <laughs> the limit. And <laughs> unless we're talking about the laws of physics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, but, but there's also simple laws where he was working with developing robots, and he's like, robots are really bad at working with soft materials. So that's why sneakers and clothing are all made by humans. Oh, right, yeah. Humans still have no use. Um, so today you had a topic that you suggested, and I'm not sure how to go from synchronous sound on Mars to this topic, but it was open well, sanity. Well, I, I, I thought maybe we could start opening up a little bit with... We have a, we have a spreadsheet with all our topics. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been meaning to talk about open standards, but... Uh, we can also talk about efficiency. We can talk about breakfast. We can talk about <laughs> monopolies. We can talk about travel. We can talk about humor. Yeah, but I, I already like when you when you suggested it. It was about a week ago, so I already sort of okay. mentally prepared for it. Okay. And honestly, my mother taught me that, uh, to talk about anything. That, that you should be good at talking about anything, no matter who you're with. Oh, so, uh, that's nice. Just as a as a as a good polite citizen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. I just got back from like Thanksgiving dinner where uh, or last week, and and that was the one compliment that I that I got. It's like I could talk to Jeremy for hours about anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so throw it at me, Raphael. Yes. Okay. So open stand. So first of all, should we explain a little bit what open standards are? Yeah. Well, that was like my first thought. Is like you know you could be very narrow about it, but you could be very broad. And I think specifically, if you think about it in context of art, it's kind of interesting. But um, yeah. What, you well, know, the, like the reason definition? the reason it comes up a lot is that uh, there's all these art startups that have a closed ecosystem of hardware mm. and software, and they're like, do you want to make something for our platform? Right, like electric objects or sedition. Yeah, and they're, they're semi-open because they also have a sort of browser in the thing so you could play anything from the internet. Mm-hmm. But they want you to make something specifically for their platform. And it's like uh, in the beginning, the early days of record players, you could only play the records of the manufacturer. So Philips had a record player. 
and there were American record players that would play American records, and there would be Dutch record players that would play Dutch record. So mm -hmm. th imagine someone's like, do you want to write a song for our platform? We have about 1,000 users, and mm -hmm. they, no one else in the world will listen to the song. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the same thing happened with VHS and beta. I mean, it, the funny thing with art is that there has been an open standard that's still incredibly successful, you know, for like hundreds of years, right? Like, and what you're talking about is like closed standards versus open standards. Like, when I think of art, I think of like the standard being canvas and like, no, no, no. That's an open standard, Raphael. Someone set that standard. No, that, that, that I, I don't agree. We all agree it, to it. No, but I think that the, you can get very broad, but that's like saying it's an object, so it's an open standard. You can put the object anywhere. But open standard, uh, for me, to keep the discussion a little bit concise. <laughs> Sorry, I opened it up too wide right at the start. Well, it's important to me. It's about networked information or mm -hmm. media, things that are multiplied and then need to be played on a certain device okay, or, or technology. Okay, let, let, we're going to narrow it down to media then. Yeah, but it. Electronic two, media. Yeah, there's two things that, uh, for me, why open standards. So I'm I'm not such an ideologist that I think oh open source is the only way to go. I understand that there should be proprietary mm -hmm. development, but I can't stand that there's so many messaging apps. Yeah, yeah, it really it bugs me. Bit, <laughs> and and I, I think for you it's even crazier because you have a a day job and an art job and a family life, so you probably have Slack. And you have yeah, yeah. Like there's a there's a percentage of the population that lives with even more communication. Like if they have an office job and that office job happens to be a startup too. Then, but I think more and more, even if you're in schools, they have like different communication apps like Blackboard. Yeah. But some some classrooms use Slack and yeah. Like if if we were to get out of the art world and just into like the basics of like how humans communicate as a form of mediation, yeah. it's getting harder <laughs> but, and harder but it's, to communicate. It's funny when you think about it, like. Imagine that the the technology of chat is embedded into you biologically, mm -hmm. and that you would run into someone, but they weren't a member of the same <laughs> yeah, app. Yeah. So you you couldn't you would go into a store and be like, "Can I have a loaf of bread?" And like, "Sorry, you need to install this other app in your brain." And then you have to go to a surgeon and like. Yeah, a lot of people are worried about this kind of social. Um stratification if you will happening when like augmented reality becomes you know really popular like and it was the same thing remember when the internet arrived in the in the like sort of mid 90s there were there were advertisements and there was a lot of worry and concern and there still is actually over access to internet right yeah and like so it would be like oh like if there's going to be a certain class of citizens that have access to this thing and then a whole other set that don't or more recently of course we know facebook tried to create like internet for Africa, but it was like only It was only Facebook. What, it's not good enough for you? Oh, oh, I get it, Africans. You want the whole internet. <laughs> but it, I, I want to explain a little bit in layman's terms, in, in my view. So a closed ecosystem is something like, okay, we have this one app and it's a different kind of chat but we had to develop a separate app, like Snapchat. So yeah. Snapchat is a new way of communicating, which you can't do in email. Email is too slow. Mm -hmm. Email is open. I don't have to be a member of your email provider to talk to you. So anyone who is on email can talk to each other. Yeah. But all these different apps, you have to be a member of that app and set up your name there, etc. And 
then if you go back to the artists and you, you understand that a little bit, then there's all these ecosystems that want you as a user. Mm -hmm. But the more you give in and you're like, okay, I'm an Instagram star, I'm a YouTube star. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, Instagram decides to become completely different. And then your whole little house you had there all of a sudden moves <laughs> to a different neighborhood. And you're like, what? So. Yeah, I know. I get it. I mean, I think it's interesting, though, to, to ask the question, why do these apps exist or why do new standards emerge? And usually, you know, I work in, in a product company. What you're looking at is where is there an opportunity but usually where is there a problem like where's some where's something someone's bitching about or they're cobbling together a solution and it's funny you mentioned email because we all think of email as this wonderful beautiful open standard yet the the the, the call i get most often from my parents <laughs> is jeremy will you fix our email yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more well, that, i'm so, still dealing with this like 20 years of fixing but that's email. The, the interesting thing to me is that somehow open standards appeal to nerds Mm -hmm. And once you get the open standard, the, the proprietary system seems really stupid. Like, mm -hmm. I love RSS, RSS. I always loved it. I love podcasts, all that stuff. But to other people, all those open things seem like a task. It's like, oh, sorry, I haven't listened to your podcast yet. I have like 400 <laughs> unplayed items. So open standards give you this sense of obligation and the, the proprietary stuff is more fun. Well, I think, you know, the thing is, a lot of times the open standard is not designed, not designed, period. Like, it's engineered. Yeah. Um, and and that's where, you know, there's room where design comes in. It kind of makes our lives more complicated as it tries to simplify it. And, and typically it's backed by capital, right? So then they want to lock you in, you know, so you have all these messaging apps competing for synchronous communication remember email is like asynchronous yeah and like the idea of a chat asynchronous app, like, meaning you send something and you're not sure when they'll reply yeah exactly so you know remember like the way we're speaking right now that solved the problem of like ugh, i don't know if the servers like received the message yet or not so it's like getting as close to real time as possible try and get as close to face-to-face -face communication which we all know is the the most synchronous form of communication but maybe, maybe i want to ask you this um, mm -hmm. Since you have a, a, a your your professional life and your personal life is quite spread out, how many different modes of communication can you list them? Like all the communication lines you use. Yeah, let me open up my iPhone right now, actually, which has like a dozen notifications at this exact moment. So on my yeah, I have uh, I guess one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, ten. Uh, we're running out 11 <laughs> I have a lot I have a lot of different ways and and they actually oh 12 like they'll be like there's communication around prototypes like I'm just gonna I have envision here I have like uh, communication around documents in the form of Google Docs and now Dropbox paper I have project management communication on Basecamp and Trello <laughs> I have office communication it's worse on than Slack. I thought <laughs> and that doesn't that doesn't count ads. that doesn't count stuff like Twitter and Instagram where you also get messages well, people always freak out when they see my phone because I have, I think, something like a thousand unread notifications. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, whatever that, what always happens at work is like, I'm always behind. So I just walk up to the person's desk and they're like, did you get my message? And I always say, no, just tell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wander around aimlessly. Yeah. And of course, everyone has talked. To, has so you're, to you're, you're at the point where it, 
there's so many raindrops that you're just swimming and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bit zenful I, and I don't worry anymore, but there are people I've met that have these so-called inbox zero people and they're just freaking out all the time. And they're like in meetings, like trying desperately to have a face-to-face conversation, but they're not even listening. They're like just trying to clear their virtual message pool. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm right here in front of your face, you know? But uh, anyway, I, I think this is a little bit the intro to explain what open standards are. And then I want to get more specific to uh, these art platforms. And then yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. be careful because I'm on one of them. Oh, which one are you on? Oh, on, we'll on Sedition. On okay. Sed- I'm, I just sold an artwork to Rory Blaine, the oh, CEO cool. of Sedition. Yeah. But what platform was that on? Uh, it was on my platform. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And I Yeah, I designed a performance that was a platform of, for sales of artwork, but... But so it, it, it's funny to me that um, people start these digital art platforms because they're like, okay, it's digital, so we can send it around and it can be convenient. And then people are like excited, oh, I was invited to make something for this platform, but um, there's already the web. Why would you wait mm-hmm. for someone to ask you? Um, so here's the problem for me. For example, photo sharing. You could do that on the web before Instagram, but Instagram made it easy and at and then it creates this momentum where it becomes really fun. Mm-hmm. And so maybe for digital art that will also happen where at some point something will come up that's so easy that it'll make the collecting really fun. But I haven't I seen I think it. that was what, I mean, I, I've seen uh, Rory speak about Sedition. I think that was their premise, which was like, you know, you're spending all these times with these beautiful, all this time with these beautiful screens and, you know, you could watch YouTube clips or we could present you with like the world's greatest artists or artworks. I Apparently, like they're doing pretty well, which is a surprise. I remember thinking there's no way this is going to work out. Yeah. Um, because and one thing that they said is that they'd actually had to, the way that it's become more successful over the years is they've had to re- make it more and more exclusive. So you own a smaller and smaller edition size, which we've yeah. been kind of in digital art for a while. Was Well, it's funny because it's an artificial scarcity. It's it's not yeah. like uh, when you do a silkscreen and you're like, okay, we'll print 50 of these, and that's mm. really 50. But here it's like, okay, there's a piece of software, and we built a counter, and the counter yeah. is like 5,000 or 1,000. There's no physical limitation. He, there's no hard disk the, limitation. He, he said that sometimes now they have editions of one and, and a lot of them are fewer than 10 and and so most of them are under 100 but they started out at like 10,000 in, in yeah, their yeah, first yeah. year right and then and then they realized that like so there's something else there and maybe it's a whole other podcast but around <clears throat> scarcity that <clears throat> creates more value than you know the, the same person that, that had an edition of 10,000 will look at something that's an edition of one completely differently right well it's also the niche thing where there might be a Lord of the Rings limited edition DVD set, mm-hmm. but it'll actually be 500,000 copies because the audience right. at large is so large that a slice of that is still a very large number. It's kind of funny to think about it, though, in terms of what you asked me earlier about communication apps. What if there was like if we just had an exclusive app and it was, it was only for Raphael and Jeremy to communicate with each other? Would that be more valuable than like an app that allows me to speak to everyone? It's a It's a sort of a... A silly question on the side, but like in in, in this space, like you're, it's kind well, of well. Like then a you get into mobile game. OS design. I think Windows made an OS that was more revolved around people. So it's almost like you could have an icon of you on your mm-hmm. home screen, and then you could communicate in different ways. So that's kind of that solution. 
Right. I know that why, why that exists, too, because whenever you talk to users about any platform, the way they orient themselves is often around the people they communicate with. Yeah. Because we're very but, we're uh, social no, human beings. So, so the thing for me about the digital platforms is that they're all made with the best of intentions. But I always have my own ecosystem of uh, accessible to anyone privately owned. Mm-hmm. And then so it does. And I'm waiting for someone to just make the perfect screen with a computer in it and they mm-hmm. all want to sell it with a closed ecosystem and yeah. like no I just want a screen that has a computer in it and that maybe you could also most of them have this mobile processes that are not so kick-ass <clears throat> but sedition has taken this approach you know there's electric objects versus sedition there are some other ones but I think those yeah. are the two big ones right oh no there's electric a million object. there's a million well what are the biggest ones I don't know but there's uh, framed from Japan Okay. There's uh, someone just emailed me now. They're like, "Oh, we have a new screen with iOS-based artworks." And I'm just like, going off the brands, like and okay. the artists that are on the on the brands, like maybe it's and maybe I have a Western focus yeah. or a, yeah. or North American focus. But like, let's just take it a, a, two examples: Sedition and Electric Objects, because they represent um, like a little bit different two, market, different yeah, different markets and different points of view. So. Like electric objects has a very closed frame, and you kind of you can put up websites for sure. Yeah. But what they it was kind of I think electric objects came from the mindset of I want Tumblr on my wall as an artwork. So right, like it's a feed that you can, but the things are not so precious. Mm -hmm. It's more ephemeral. You subscribe, right? Basically. Yeah, I I think that I think they're juggling, and but it's I think it's more catering to a younger audience. Yeah. And then Sedition has this like exclusive editions and it's actually a little bit more like Netflix. So on electric objects, you have to watch it on the electric objects yeah. like device. But with Sedition, you can view Any it on device. your TV, your on iPad, your phone. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't judge you. <laughs> if you want to look at it on your Apple Watch, that's fine. Yeah. Right. I, and for an artist like you, that kind of makes sense because you've always thought about the multi-screen kind of as like. Yeah, but know, the uh, so what happened was with Sedition, I. The platform came up and I thought, okay, it's cool, let's experiment because I have my distribution, this is another distribution. Mm-hmm. So what happened is I qu- sort of gave them sketches, like unfinished works that I wasn't sure about because I didn't want to give them a, a work that was completely mm-hmm. finished because then if you put it on Sedition, you can't put it on the web after. And can it be interactive or is it have No, to be like it's a, video. Right, so... It's kind of limited. On- Electric objects, you can do a little bit of interactivity. Yeah, but it's a it's a like a Raspberry Pi type of processor, so it it's kind of like a, if you want to do heavy JavaScript generative stuff, it's kind of hard. But this seems to me like to be the biggest thing that they're missing. It's like they're they're trying to do people were trying to commodify video art. Um, I don't know, like in that at the turn, like around two thousand five, there were art. You know, like it was like it's the next photography, and before that too, actually early two thousands. Let's go back and. And it was just about, and there was artificial scarcity built around video art, you know, your signed DVD, blah, 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 blah. But like where we are now, everyone is trying to create real time, you know, kind of uh, algorithmic work, right? And it's like... Yeah, not, we don't want to be limited to, to a video file of 10 minutes. Yeah, like it's just so boring. <laughs> and it also doesn't really fit a lot of artist practice. Yeah, but, but the, the, fun thi- the funny thing about uh, generative art and my art is not even that heavy for the process. It's pretty simple visually. But yeah. the, the heavier stuff, you really need a big computer. And computers are actually getting slimmer and less GPU in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
the, I mean, a lot of artists who make installations, they always have maybe five big tower PCs in the back room of this. Like, it's really heavy duty. Stuff. I mean, they are and they aren't. Like, um, the I the new iPhone 7 uh, is has this its CPU, which is, I know it's not its GPU, but its total uh, CPU power is is equal to the Mac Pro from, like, four years ago. Yeah, yeah, it ago. runs pretty well, yeah. I have it here, yeah. Um, so it's like, why can't they, like, I mean, if the phone already has the power, like, why can't yeah. they just leave Rich Well, it's also, that, that phone time? is 700 to 1,000 bucks. And if right. they want to make an affordable screen, and already the big, for example, electric objects, they wanted to make the screen about 299 or 399 yeah, so yeah, that's I the think limitation. It's ridiculous. Here's what I think is ridiculous. <laughs> so who, like, with any product design or any standard, you have to think about who it's for, right? <clears throat> They're saying this is for everyone. You're you're saying, right? Young people. It's like wrong move because these people have no money. <laughs> they already they can barely their their phones are shattered. Yeah, that's they, true. They don't. Their they, laptop is already, falling apart. They're, they're jealous of every artist that's already done well. <laughs> it's like. It's like uh, in the end of, yeah. Please, as go back customers. to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. However, like if if they marketed to me or something like that, like I just bought a 4K TV and I and I'm looking for like beautiful things to be up in my home. I buy artwork on a like a few times a year, you know, like I and I respect, you know, a certain class of artists and a general, you know, I'm a, I'm like a mid-tier or early I'm an early collector, right? Like yeah. and every if you speak to a gallerist, they'll tell you about how you have to nurture collectors, right? Yeah, the you got to start young and build a relationship. Yeah, exactly. And but I think what what's difficult for these companies is, is like that's a really really hard job. Be, you know, it's not the Yeah, cuz investors you kinda, want results. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to see like a hockey stick growth chart. <laughs> for, All right, guys, we've got this amazing startup. It might profit in 60 years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got to do a lot of relationship building. We're going to, you know, gonna a lot of golf, do a few cocktail a parties, lot of, uh, yeah. charity auctions. <laughs> that's what's uh, nice about art, though, the slow pace. It's uh, what sets it apart from the rest. Well, like in both cases, sedition and electronic objects, there's this idea of like, I guess, or electric objects, this idea of democratization, which I think it doesn't, it's totally, it doesn't really make sense for the art world because as Rory like explained, like uh, the exclusivity of it is what is, is increasingly important. And, yeah. And so then, so yeah. then why put it on the network? Because if it's only one copy, might as well have it in a safe somewhere and well, make it really exclusive. This is the hilarious joke, which is like he was giving this presentation and then he's like, and our most successful product is actually these plastic gift cards. We sell, <laughs> we, we sell at the IC or the Tate. But I, I, the Tate. I, I, I really I really still uh, applaud anyone who's uh, trying things. Uh, and sure. I think it's really important to experiment. But it, it's true what you say that um, we have this mass distribution, which works really well for pop culture. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt there that uh, things spread virally and uh, uh, it, artists are em- empowered more. But then for art, it really it's almost you're really going against its nature when you make it uh, available. Well, yeah, like even me who, you know, like I want to reach as many people as possible and I believe in like freely distributing 
you know, my work as freely as possible in the moment, making it sort of not commodifiable, like performing work, right? Like, yeah. I'd, I'd vastly prefer to perform for 2,000 people than to make one painting for one person. However, I also recognize that when I buy something... <laughs> And, and the yeah. thing I like about art as well is that there's like a story, it's special. It's That's like the funny thing. I've, I've sat down with so many media artists and you're in their home and they're like, yeah, it's really hard for collectors to buy electronic works. And then you look around their living room and there's <laughs> no electronics. It's all photos and drawings yeah. of friends. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So exactly. they should be the people who, yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking around right now and I have several... Um, you know, uh, new media works up, but they're all printed, right? Yeah. Like, and and were, were you I've ever fantasized. were you ever approached for a digital platform? I have not actually. I, I remember when Electra, uh, Electric Objects came out. Like, I know some people there, and I I I emailed to say, hey, I'd love to make a work, but I never heard a response. I think I, it doesn't really make much sense to people because I perform a lot live. So to like, though I've done videos, they also all rely on. Um, you know, language. And you want those the, videos to be broadly available. Yeah, I've talked about that before. I mean, I would be, I'm interested in it as conceptually, so, you know, and and, be, and critically, so I would, I would never say no, but I think um, the thing that would be really interesting to me, I would be most interested if these were like higher processor kind of, like, if you could do some like real-time stuff, like if Rafael Lorenzo Hammer or something could do like a digital mirror piece, I'm you know, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. possible today in your home. But imagine if you could subscribe to like 10 generative works or 10 interactive works on a beautiful screen that cost, I would pay $5,000 for something that was like really, really nice. Or maybe it's a subscription service and they upgrade the screen for you every year. Just like, you know, you get a new iPhone on the iPhone kind of for life plan. And it's just like your artworks get better every year. But it's, it's, I think the timeline of art is so much uh, longer, the, the life true, of an artwork. So then to subscribe to a company that might be gone in five years. and No, none of it makes any sense. So, so I, 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 I really <laughs> think fundamentally attaching an artwork to the existence of a company that is not yeah. you is a bad strategy. I, I don't yeah, think there's yeah. any way It'd around it. It would be like if you only, you know, released your work in the 1980s on Laserdisc. You'd be like screwed. Well, not only just <laughs> Laserdisc, only Laserdisc of a certain manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah, and but the, the, but it then, couldn't be transferred. To but that's other. hardware, so that's still you could still have a fetish for that. But if you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I made a, f a work that only exists on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? The thing is, this already happened, Raphael. Like, yeah. video artists made work on certain video platforms. I'm just thinking about the history of technology here. Well, video is always and, transferable. Um, yeah, but, like, I w as a young artist, I would say if you transferred the work, it was different, right? It's like when you look at a film on DVD. And, and like, actually, film, like, is a similar example, mm -hmm. right? Like, and a great open standard example. Like, so people shot and still shoot on, like, 8, 16, and, you know, whatever new yeah. formats of film but you know when you go to see the original print that always has like a lot more value right like you you don't want to see Fellini's like whatever I disagree on... I, I, I went but to see a, I went to see a screening of a Herzog's Aguirre and it was the original print but yeah. it was really shitty because at the time their print, print quality was really bad so the contrast was way too high and I was used to the modern version where it the, they adjusted everything they, better so <laughs> yeah but like adjusted that's not the artist's intent right and so like I don't know transferred to 
if you trans when you transfer the film and then you like it's like the original Star Wars if you're gonna nerd out on this right like well yeah that's what, what this do? podcast more, is for yeah add no more, no no like, but I'm talking about I'm background. talking about <laughs> I'm talking about okay you had an original print mm-hmm. and then you had to make copies for the movie theaters and then to cut corners they would make a cheaper copy for the smaller movie theaters sure. and that's how most people experienced the movie at the time but if you then rescan the original and have something that's closer to the original print, then it's actually, that's not a new interpretation, that's actually closer to the intent of the maker. Well, I thought you said you saw an original print. Like if I saw an original oh, print okay. of 2001, A Space Odyssey, I, 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 would, I would like, I would, that would be a real experience I want yeah. to go see. Actually, they had that recently nearby uh, my house here. But I, I um, think there's a difference between George Lucas revisiting the movie and adding new characters <laughs> or uh, there's, there's something that happened. Uh, a lot of works from the Impressionists used pretty cheap paint and pretty cheap varnish, and they became pretty brown after 100 years. Mm. The colors became kind of dark. And then they cleaned it up because... And everybody was complaining because it looked like pop art. They're like, hey, this is not Impressionism. We're used to all these coffee colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people were all confused. And they actually got back to the way the intention of the artist. So, yeah. I don't know. You're speaking to, I guess, a historic problem of like intent of the yeah. artist, and yeah. if it's in any media that the social yeah. conditions and context around it change, and then it's reproduced. It's reproduction, really, that you're talking about. And any in any yeah. reproduction, there's the potential for um, a mischaracterization of the original intent. I mean, like. The classic, classic example is like, wasn't like Rome or like ancient Greece all painted in bright, garish colors, but we think of it as like being this like all white marble. Oh, you mean their sculptures? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had faces and they had eyelashes and the lips were red and etc. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. There was an exhibition at PS1 where they had take, taken uh, old sculptures and repainted them. And they oh, looked really? really weird, yeah. Kind of looked like clowns. <laughs> <laughs> I love to think about that. And, you know, my other favorite example is, you know, um, fluorescent color was uh, discovered in, at the early, in the early part of the last century. And in, in the UK in the 1950s, fluorescent, like, suits were in style. Like, oh, really? So men and, yeah, men would wear these, like, fluorescent pink, fluorescent yellow suits. And it was, like, day glow colors everywhere. But the cameras weren't around to capture that. Yeah. And so, we, we, you know, we have this idea of the 1950s as this kind of like, you know, uh, pastel colors, but it wasn't at all. Yeah, it's funny also how um, my memory of the, of the 80s of my childhood photos are tied to the type of film and development they used then. And then the yeah. 90s were tied to early digital video. And it, so it, yeah, yeah. it colors your memory, the, the recording color. So I wonder with the if we could take it back to like Sedition or whoever. We should be getting sponsorship dollars. <laughs> Just realize I'm gonna stop using their name. But like if they ma- if you make an artwork and it's meant to be shown on a TV that I have today, right, or my phone today, would that art? How is that artwork gonna look in 20 years when screens have evolved to be organic? Yeah, so maybe LED rental. Maybe rental is a better model than sale. Yeah, I mean, or because you're not like, you're not promising this work will last forever. But that's the thing. Like, I asked a question recently of a panel of people, you know, like, have you ever encountered an artist who just, who wanted their work to exist for a period of time, and then when the technology didn't suit it anymore, 
you know, where, where you would give it a polite funeral, right? <laughs> and really what we're talking about there is like, it's almost like a lease in the UK, you know, where you can only, you know, there are those leases, what are they called? Freehold leases. It's like, you can't buy a house. You can only own it for 99 years, but you could like buy the last two years of it, or you can buy. You mean the, 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 the land? Yeah. This is the same in the Netherlands. Is it? Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's different. It's than like a domain America. name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it eventually it expires and you're like comfortable with that. It's worth a little bit less at the end of its life, but hey, I got to enjoy it for two years or something <laughs> like that. And that's okay, you know, and it's not about passing it on or reselling it. And I think that's where the standards and it become kind of interesting. So there's been some development around and hype around blockchain and yeah. art, artist rights management. Yeah. Well, few- that's another example where blockchain could be the digital authentication. So yeah. the, the blockchain, to explain it to our listeners, blockchain is a technology that I don't understand completely, but <laughs> the idea is that you can make unique digital files because most well, basically yeah, most, digital most digital registry. files are infinite. So if you have a mm-hmm. if you post a picture on Facebook, someone copies it, they have the exact same picture. Um, and the idea with blockchain is that it's there's a, a ledger which is like a big registry yeah. that says this is the original file. You might copy it, but you won't have the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just sort of traces where things have gone. Of course, Bitcoin is the most classic uh, sort of yeah. success story. But you could you could use it for contracts to yeah. have a digital signature. <clears throat> yeah, and then so you could also like use it for files. You could sell a digital image and say this is a unique work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of cryptography and registry all rolled into one. And so my hesitance is that any system can be cracked. And they're like, no, 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 this is uncrackable. And I'm like, uh, just wait. Mm. I mean, it has Bitcoin, which has been around now 10 years or so, hasn't been cracked. And it's sort of the, the cryptography around blockchain is pretty intense. Of course, everyone always says, like, when quantum computers arrive, da, 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 so all, all bets are off. Yeah, a new paradigm shift. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, remember when we thought that was safe? That's going to be a beautiful day, actually. If Imagine if the whole art world was like on blockchain and then there's like overnight, there's like a worm attack because it's gonna, it's always worms. And then it's like, <laughs> and then the next day it's like, it's all free. It's this like digital riot on the online. Like, look, I've got this Damien Hurst. Look, I've got this like Julian Schnabel. I've got, I've got a Raphael Rosendahl. I think, oh the, I think the more things digitize, the more people will be happy with the real objects. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the wave of authenticity <clears throat> and real objects that's like been widely documented, especially over the last years, like last few years. So as automation increases, typically this is like proven cycle after cycle. People, there's a wave of people that search for more authentic analog experiences and then new, you know, then there's like new digital entrenchment. But I think it's 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 cyclical. So like it's a reaction against and then people kind of get bored of that and they go back to the digital you know, that happens over and over again. It's like why millennials listen to records, uh, you know, and say this, it sounds better. It doesn't sound better. We all know it doesn't sound better. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why, don't I don't know why people, if you want to get into sound quality, I'm always surprised people like vinyl, but I thought that beta, or like those magnetic tapes, the big ones, I thought that would be the best sound quality. <laughs> Well, people always say it's like sounds warmer and stuff. The hilarious thing I think about vinyl for me is that <clears throat> electronic music is our musicians that are pushing vinyl. This thing was never analog. I hate to well, tell Well, yeah, but if you're listening to Led Zeppelin or something, yeah. 
but that's not why. So DJs and elect and specifically like house music and techno and in whatever electronic genres now exist, which is like too many to name. They were pushing, you know, they really pushed vinyl because that was like how they were DJing, right? And then that got picked up. And well, of it's also now, the mixing and the scratching physically and. Yeah, whatever. Well, the whole de- the whole <laughs> DJ profession started on vinyl. It do- it's not anymore though. It's, you talk to a professional yeah. DJ, no one's using vinyl anymore. No, I know. So it was just like a blip in time, you know, where we we're like, oh yeah, it's better. And but then it, you go back to open standards. The, the, it, you yeah. have these different audio standards, and then you mm-hmm. can debate which one is the best one. But at least they're open, so you could. It's still weird to me that. A musician releases a song, but they're like, okay, it's out on vinyl, but you can also download it and you can also get it on tape. It's up to you, whatever mm. you want. But then but for, for you to make an artwork and be like, no, it only plays on this device. And that's really weird. But this is the thing, right? So, yeah. So bottom line is is kind of this, right? Like um, the, the modern strategy, like let's call it the Netflix strategy is to be on every device. Like yeah. for us to just like make it possible for you to have your media the way you want it the, i think you know if we get back to like blockchain and the but there you also have the problem where uh, if you if you're netflix and they make netflix originals and that movie is only viewable on netflix mm-hmm. so that's a way to get people to subscribe because you might be subscribed to hbo or hulu but this other show is on netflix so you're motivated to subscribe so they have lock-in that way oh yeah for sure but the problem I mean, the problem with art platforms is that the user base is so small, so it's like, oh, we have 500 people on a platform. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think these blockchain startups are interesting to discuss, because what they're saying is any file can have this little snippet of code inside of it. You choose the file as the artist, and we'll maintain the record, right? Yeah. And there are a few of them. There's Monograph, or Monograph, rather. Um, there's also, what's another one? Um, I recently came across, oh yeah, a scribe. What's yeah. funny is if you go to the websites for these uh, sort of blockchain things, I'm going to read a couple of headline, uh, sort of headline marketing, you know, value propositions to you because <laughs> this is why it's not going to work right now. But like you're an artist, you're like, mm, yeah, blockchain, I'm really interested. Maybe you're a collector. And so you land on the Ascribe website and here's their headline. Lock in attribution, securely share and trace where your digital work spreads. <laughs> And it's like, and then they've got a guy with paints in the background, painting supplies <laughs> on his laptop. It makes no sense. Then they like, they go through all of the, like the features and they're all like incredibly nerdy things that no artist is even going to understand. Some artists might well, understand, but collectors are like, eh, never mind. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, now you land on Monograph's site and it's like, here's Monograph's headline. We power the creative content that enlightens the internet. <laughs> It's like so pretty ambitious. It's so lofty. <laughs> also, it doesn't tell me what they're doing for me. It's like it's all about them. We should, we should start a startup and say like, um, we encompass all good intentions of all beings <laughs> in all universes. It's also not best practice. That would be a failed startup, as both of these startups will fail. I can guarantee it. What will come <laughs> they get, next? They get, they get the the Jeremy fail bump. All right, <laughs> <Sorry>. guys. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, it's over because they're not really considering who their customer is, right? Like they're not really they're not really. Aren't there examples of startups that ignore customers and because customers sometimes don't know they need something? Yeah, these startups will get, they might get purchased by Google who figures out that people 
really just want an easy way to collect art that you know where they don't have to get to know a, a snobby gallery or something like that and and it will play on you know all of their newest all their screens and you know and they'll be able to resell it da, 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 da. like yeah I, I think that was a big part of the intention of these art startups is mm-hmm. I, I spoke to someone from finance who wanted to start an art startup he didn't do it in the end but so the financial market got heavily regulated after the big crash in 2008 more and more and they looked at the art market and like oh this is a fun place there's hardly any regulation there's no laws on insider trading this sounds great but <laughs> right. they didn't want to deal with objects that sounds terrible so they thought can't we make digital art we already uh, transfer millions of dollars in bitcoin so why not make digital artworks and then we can do this whole speculation insider trading thing without having to worry about shipping but yeah. or damaging the work or all that stuff yeah so it's yeah, it's, that, it's well, shipping is like a huge problem yeah so this is not like Oh, we should bring culture to the world. This is like okay, let's have unregulated trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, everyone kind of knows that art is like this. The secondary art market is this really weird den of like uh, some bad people and off, obviously good people too. But like, like it's a financial market, right? Maybe not everyone doesn't know that. Maybe people that are listening don't know that. That's how it's one of the well, ways that moves around the world. Yeah, you can assume. The secondary if, if a useless object is worth more than a hundred million, then there's some tricky stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know there are some other platforms that we didn't talk about that have tried the opposite, which is just to facilitate you finding artists and facilitate like, like artsy. Yeah, like artsy and paddle eight and stuff like that. Yeah, and they're not they're not trying to lock in. I guess a standard. They're well, just they're trying to, like, trying to lock in more. in the sense that you become a member. So. Artsy wants to be a taxonomy of art where you, meaning something like a Wikipedia of art. But -hmm. again, Wikipedia is completely open and that's why it's so successful. And Artsy, you have to register and yeah, I just think for information. Here's a question. Why isn't there an open, why isn't one, why isn't anyone, any nation, any museum tried to build an open standard around not only just like, like I guess it's the taxonomy or the collection, like what is the registry of art? Well, Wikipedia <clears throat> could do that, but there's not enough people uh, who are interested in art who are making uh, extensive Wikipedia entries. Nobody, uh, you know that word, the catalogue raisonné, the, the complete body of work mm-hmm. of an artist? Nobody does that on Wikipedia because there's no, <coughs> it's, it's so labor intensive. So for mm. pop culture, Wikipedia is pretty comprehensive. If, if you go to Steven Spielberg's page, it will list every little thing he did, every student film, every collaboration. If he's been on a talk show, it'll be listed. Right. But, but nobody <coughs> does that for Magritte and like list every painting and drawing he ever did, every essay he ever wrote, every interview. And all that exists in books, but it doesn't exist online. I guess there's the Google Cultural Project, which is kind of trying to do some of that stuff. Well, they want to organize the world's information. Yeah, that's their mission. I guess that's why they're doing it. And then I guess Rhizome recently launched this thing called Anthology, where they want to have the top 100, I guess, internet artists. Yeah, net artworks um, cataloged uh, as a sort of like digital... Yeah, I think uh, out of all the digital platforms, I mostly, I like the intent and the and the execution of rhizome because they're not trying to lock you down in ownership or in in any way of usability like oh you 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 have to log in to read the website Mm -hmm. you can you can become a member but you can completely use them as a platform without ever giving them your email address 
Yeah, and they always had the art base in the background too, right? Where artists would put their own artworks up and be, you know, but it's archived and sort of maintained by... uh, But they don't have the the ambition of being a taxonomy of all art ever made. But they could do it for new media. And if they did it well for internet artists, they're attempting to do, there is potential. In fact, like, it's always stunning to me they're probably not hopefully no one's listening ah, who cares if they're <laughs> I know how underfunded they are right like and well how the, I, th- they I are. think I think in general uh, if you have ambition you're always underfunded yeah maybe you're right I feel like at some point I would like to give them <laughs> a lot of if, if ever I made a lot of money I'd like to give them a lot of money because yeah. they've helped me more than any other organization yeah, uh, in my yeah they're great years. But I think compared to, to any other work. digital art platform, they're the, the most successful. Yeah, I mean, there are other people I think we've discussed on this, like there are private foundations like Tama Foundation um, that are trying to archive like precarious digital works and, and new media works. But And there's elect- Electric Arts Intermix or something like that? Yeah, well, EAI, was, well, that, they were definitely dedicated to video. And Do they have non-video based works in their collection? I'm not sure. They're, they're also, a, I think they're a distribution platform for the artists where if a museum wants to show a video work, then yeah, they approach yeah, them. Yeah, it's a classic distribution model. I have, there's also a video databank, and, um, in, which is in Chicago. Yeah, there's Lima in the Netherlands, which used to yeah. be NIMK, and they, they will also do that for artists. Yeah, and I have one here in Canada. We have V-Tape. But the funny thing is that they, they, they didn't really keep up with artists and artist distribution um, and, and became a little bit less relevant because they didn't really embrace the internet, right? They were still sending out, I remember, tapes as early as just a few years ago. So, um, which just, or DVDs, and you just be like, I made this thing as a file. The file exists in the cloud. Just send them a link, please. And it's like their usefulness really was missed what they missed was that their main their main mission their main thing which is artsy and sedition was editorialization right like in a noisy internet the standard the thing that they can provide that enables the artists to do well obviously is like the credibility and editorialization of the work to say this work is important people get really nervous about that yeah Um, well it's I, i also understand like if you visit a city like you happen to be in Istanbul, you're probably going to go to a museum. Like, you want to see art, but you're mm-hmm. probably not going to go to a catalog and see, like, every artist runs space and just pick a random... Like, no, yeah. I'll go to the museum and I'll probably see something good. So, yeah, that's why these things exist, because no, not everyone has the time to completely research the city and look at every forgotten corner and... Yeah, and I think what I'm getting at is, like, with open standards, if we were to go back to our original film analogy, like, you know, Star Wars is going to get transferred to holograms eventually, right? Like, all the the canon works, the most important works, we, we don't need to worry about them getting sort of reproduced onto new media. But, like, there's obviously going to be thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of works that are just left behind. Um, and actually, I'm not too bothered by that. I think that that's like a necessary filtration process. It would be like if every human, we had to remember them at the beginning of each day, eventually you run out of time to like, you know, say your piece, right? It's like, uh, so, you know, at, at a certain point, this the open standard, what are we really arguing for, I guess, is, is my question to you. Like, or what are we concerned about? Well, what I'm the- concerned about is that, um, so there's digital culture 
which works really well in sharing things online. So they made that so easy that it's really uh, effortless. And that mm -hmm. I think that effortlessness, the problem is of open standards are never effortless. So we talked about why aren't there more art podcasts? It's an open mm -hmm. standard, but the open standards feel too empty. It feels like you're you're in an empty warehouse and you have to set up everything yourself. Yeah, there's no credibility built into it. Right? Yeah, and so I really love open standards. I love email. I love podcasts. I love the web. I really dislike closed systems, but they just work because they're so effortless. So maybe you need mm -hmm. a combination that is the best of both. Well, and of course, like they work for a little while, but as soon as the company behind them, like the App Store is an example, yeah. or even podcasts actually, because iTunes really pushed that early on. As soon as they lose interest, potentially your close standard, the thing you invested in, they're like, oh, sorry guys, we're moving on. <laughs> like, yeah, business model's dead. Yeah. Eh, investors aren't too interested. Go on to the next thing, right? Yeah. And so you, you're forfeiting that control or authority, right? Yeah. Um, you have to imagine like there are lots of works that are created in, inside these closed standards that are important that might also be lost just because and we you know one canonical example I guess is like um, you know if you put a work there Petra Courtright had a piece on YouTube and you know had some like uh, had all these comments and yeah oh, because well, of the had, tags yeah, it got removed the tags had like porn in them and stuff like that which was one of her old things and like but so YouTube pulled it and you can protest it being pulled but then YouTube's like no our standards have changed or we, f we flagged your video that's not possible we can't compromise because if we compromise for you does it matter if it's a historically important artwork right um and so I'm sure that that's we're going to run against that again and again. But imagine on sedition, you know, like let's say uh, you know an artist on sedition, the work becomes more important than sedition ever thought it would, right? More important and than sedition itself. More important than sedition itself. Yeah, and actually, this is a perfectly reasonable assumption given the history of art, right? It, it like touches people are crying it's like marina probably they're, they're this work makes them cry it's in everyone's home and then sedition's like that's such oh, a cheesy I... way of thinking an artwork <laughs> is important it makes me cry i know it's like if I you know about how many cheesy art. movies make people cry <laughs> so, oh that must be a really good movie then i know it's it's true <laughs> i only watch movies that make me cry they're always comedies though anyway so um, but imagine this happen. Let's just speculate. Maybe it's not cry. Maybe it's laugh. But you, we all know no one ever buys work that makes you laugh. So. <laughs> so, yeah, let's go so, with crying. Okay. Let's go with crying. Cringing doesn't work either. <laughs> it doesn't work either. Come on, guys. You know, if you want to get an Oscar, you got to cry. You got you to play someone with a, some sort of a, a problem. Anyway, so imagine this work exists. And then Sedition is like... You know, just doesn't it doesn't work out, right? The business model fails. So, what happens to that work? Does sedition? Well, the, like... the, I, I spoke to them early on. The, the idea with sedition is, if they for some reason stop being a company, then all the files will be emailed to whoever purchased the work. Okay. So that's and their then... solution, and that kind of begets the limitation of such a platform. That means they'll only work with stills and videos because interactive work or generative work is too complicated. Right. And so they, yeah, so they've like, they've made that strict decision. Now, the thing is, they're kind of betting on the fact that 100 years from now, you'll be able to play back those files, I guess. But. Yeah, but I, I think, again, video and stills, you, you lose a little bit if you convert them, but you can still convert mm -hmm. them. But in the case of yeah. a YouTube movie, which had a lot of comments and it gets taken off, that's the more platform, of an, yeah. the, the platform, the, 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 the context disappears. 
Yeah, the context disappears. I guess, and I guess that's the problem. The sedition example that seems to make sense. The e- well, I guess email will probably still exist. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I email think is like it's, the, the 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 cockroaches of the internet. People keep trying to squash it, but email just comes back. <laughs> I just can't. I just don't think that we can rely probably on these uh, private companies to do that, even if they say they're going to. Um, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. Well, the only thing yeah, you can rely like, on is like an open standard. Yeah, it's funny. There's no real truth here because RSS, I think, is such an ideal platform. Um, but Google sort of killed it by letting go of their mm. RSS product. But RSS yeah. is still woven into a lot of aspects of the internet. And just you're not aware of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And RSS, like, like Flipboard, works speaking. on RSS, but nobody thinks of that as an RSS reader. Well, who formed the standard of RSS, right? Like, usually standards are actually like a consortium of people. It was probably right? a, a group of uh, high school students, maybe mm-hmm. uh, Dungeons and Dragons players who got together. No, I don't and, like, think that's true. <laughs> well, because we know that even Apple, you know, is involved in setting standards, yeah. hardware standards, and software standards as well. Well, they were Microsoft, famous for saying companies. that the web has to be open, so we're mm-hmm. going to kill Flash. Yeah, and we haven't got into that. Maybe net neutrality is a topic for another day, but like, there's also how these bits arrive at our screens that is currently uh, contentious. But I think that is a topic for another day. How should we close this? What, you know, what are our remaining? What, what's our question for our audience? Maybe. And uh, this was uh, all this. The podcasting for me is I've been trying to. I have all these unfinished essays, and then mm-hmm. I really like. These were two essays that I wanted to write. One about uh, losing my mind over all the different chat apps, which you answered. <laughs> You're just like, just just let it go. <laughs> yes, and the like other that. one is that the, the platforms... So I'm not sure. I think it's unresolved, but open standards are too complicated. They're not user-friendly. Mm-hmm. And closed systems are not reliable because they disappear. Yeah. we. I mean, we don't know... It seems like there's compromises on on every side, right? That seems to be an on, ongoing theme in our discussions. Like we we never get to the good point. We always, <laughs> we always get to the compromise point. We, we just get to, to the point where it's like, oh, it's been forty five minutes. See you next week. Yeah, but no. But I think my question, I guess, for for people out there, because I do like to hear from people listening, is like, you know, is there would there is there some way? For um, that to resolve these compromises, you know, is there is there some utopia that well, we could think we of could photo sharing, for example? Mm-hmm. Like um, we've been able to share photos from the beginning of the web, but you had to heavily compress your things, your photos, and you had to know about FTP and running a server, and it's mm-hmm. gotten easier and easier over time. I think right now people love to share photos on mostly on chat apps because Facebook and Instagram are too public. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are very closed systems. I don't know if there's a solution or like a single solution. It's just a big mess. Yeah, those things are a little different to me because it's a real t- it's real time streaming. It's not really about um, ar- it's not really about owning or archiving the things. Like Snapchat's a great example where well, it's like you want it to be. A it is also about away. archiving. Like I spoke to a curator of the MoMA, and he's they were thinking about how do we archive artist Instagrams. Because mm-hmm. it's an important side of their persona, really? and yeah. so putting oh, it in like a book, Amelia Allman or something like that. No, just in general, I think it's just mm-hmm. 
it's it's such a visual medium mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a diary and a sketchbook and an open studio it's many things yeah that's true but then at, at the moment they sort of i think this is an example of the the, the problem with uh, closed systems i think if an institution like moma will decide okay we found a way to archive instagram then that might take them five years and all of a sudden everybody's like oh actually we like snapchat <laughs> right right so right that's they, a perfect example of, of like yeah. okay that the, we can really we, we can really feel the artistic energy on instagram and it's really it's almost like an an extension of the body this mm-hmm. is really amazing we love it and then it's like oh you missed it well here's my question then it's like why aren't why isn't instagram helping you in know, archiving like, yeah, like why aren't these companies? Is the art world just too small and insignificant? Well, that Twitter, for example, has a backup tool where you can. Uh, I I have this one feed where I tweet everything I eat at our food, and then you can just download a backup, and it's just HTML and CSS and JavaScript. But it's a complete rendering of the whole site with every. If you scroll down, you can go through all the old tweets, and it's indistinguishable from it being online. So. I mm-hmm. guess that would be the best way, but if you, so this is. But that's the standard then we need to create, which is yeah, like almost but the, like a backdoor standard. But the problem like, with these standards is that standards limit innovation. So if you say mm-hmm. like, okay, you can make any new startup, but it has to be uh, able to be back backed up and playable in a browser. And that mm-hmm. doesn't, Snapchat would not be able, you wouldn't be able to back that. The whole idea of well, Snapchat is actually you can't archive you it. You could because there are these tools that exist now that are called like DOM recorders. So every app, ugh, this is really technical, but every app exists inside what's called the DOM, right? And the DOM is all of the actions that are taking place, including where your mouse is moving, what you're clicking on. Yeah, but if you in- invent a new device like the Snapchat Spectacles, and it, mm-hmm. you know, if if you push the boundaries of it not being playable in a browser, because even the DOM itself is a standard. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for some kind of like. Universal data. Well, you <laughs> remember remember when Google made Google Wave? Yeah, which yeah, was yeah. a platform. They're like, email was. is very old. We need to reinvent it for the twenty first century. So mm-hmm. we, we're making all this real time collaboration, et cetera, et cetera. It was way too complicated. But then, that's kind of what Slack became, no? Yeah, yeah. Like Wave was just too complicated for people to figure out. Yeah, and Slack is kind of the, it's real time collaboration, I guess. Yeah, but it's also overwhelming. Just like Wave probably would have been for anyone, I guess. But you have me, to push the boundaries, and I think open standards can't push the boundaries because too many players have to agree on what the next move is. But here's what we can agree on then: I think is that the universe is expanding, right? Mm-hmm. Like the physical universe as we just started this topic this conversation talking about the speed of light but like the number of standards is also expanding now at a rate which eventually i guess we have to predict will become untenable for anyone to really make any sense out like <laughs> i can imagine in like 200 years like oh what chat app or like what image file format are you using there's like a million yeah. today there's like thousands, well i think right? in the future the idea of a format might disappear Maybe it'll all just roll in, like I'm saying, into like one kind of data bucket. Into it'll just like, be like universal data format yeah. or something. And actually, that'll probably be atomic. <laughs> it'll probably be like, it'll be like, oh, matter. <laughs> Remember matter? <laughs> <Maybe>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, because in every sci-fi movie, right, it ends up being like a little marble or something that contains all of human knowledge. <laughs> like everyone will just have a marble. 
uh, a gaseous marble of well, data. I, I wrote this one haiku, the best way to organize things is to get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, this is always my thing, which is like the best, uh, yeah, the best way to organize your, your life is to just throw it in the garbage, whatever. So maybe that's but, the conclusion, <laughs> <laughs> the solution to stand is just to get rid of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's how we always end up, I think. We always end up back in our clean white cube where hope is a <laughs> Where you can have a like, fresh start. Yeah, just a fresh start, an open browser I, window, do, a do new Do you know tab. that book, the, the Philosophy of Andy Warhol? No. The, it's the Philosophy of Andy Warhol from A to B, and he goes through every aspect of life. He talks about money, love, houses, and, and he has a whole chapter on how he hates stuff and that he wishes he had one apartment for his crap and then another yeah. house that's much bigger that's completely empty because he, he just hates all the stuff but he's like I'm actually the worst uh, execution of my philosophy because I just gather stuff all the time well I mean I look forward to going to a museum in a new city in a hundred years and it being completely empty <laughs> so it's like that's like the well, idea I think right? that's I think that's a big part of uh, what art is is um, what's the most baller thing that you can do? So when you when you start getting rich, you're like, okay, I want flashy clothes, I want a big car. Mm -hmm. No, the most baller thing is real estate in the most expensive locations in the world with hardly anything in it. Yeah, that's it, right, with a single modernist chair in the corner. Yeah, or maybe just the performance. That's the most baller thing. It, it, oh, yeah. yeah. That's pretty hot, actually. We should start selling that. <laughs> To, to luxury to the bourgeoisie it's like hmm have a yacht with nothing in it yeah but don't want to clutter it with more stuff buy this performance <laughs> yeah how you know have people drenched in paint for two hours that might be month. cool a sort of startup with uh, performance instructions Experience. and so it's just a chat app mm. i like it actually like you could subscribe to having oh, it's just a twitter answer. account <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, we're kind of over time, yeah. and we're getting it, we're verging on silliness, but probably verging on a great startup idea as well. So we can't reveal too much. <laughs> I think great so. ideas come from silliness when the the mind is relaxed. Yeah, yeah. I'm my mind is wandering towards my performance startup. I didn't think of that until now. Thank you, Raphael. I it's hope all everyone software. has enjoyed. That's <laughs> right. It's all yes. I hope everyone's enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed talking to you again. Yeah. Thank you for people who. Uh, contacted us I, I'm always surprised when people listen and a lot of people are like oh a lot of positive response so thank you yeah a lot of amazing people out there doing amazing things and if we're not capturing a point of view though I never see it in the comments I'd still love to see another point of view in the comments another good point uh, if you will because um, all good points uh, add up to one probably garbage point <laughs> where we don't have a decision uh, what's right but it helps us see uh, how complicated things are and um, and gets us thinking in silly ways and it's so, something to do yeah it's something to do um, thanks Raphael okay see ya see ya bye bye till next week <laughs>